When I was younger, I've always been kind of interested in business and building businesses. And I took a look around at the people in my life that were successful and the things that they were doing to you know, generate their income and, and live their lives. And I realized that a lot of them had a multiple income streams and a lot of them had real estate investments. So my mother's boss is a dentist and uh, he had tons of rentals. Actually, some of them were in London, although he was based out of Guelph. And although he's moved on, that was that was the one thing that really stuck with me is that these people had multiple income streams. So I said to myself, I really want to go down that path. And you know, life's too short. I don't want to necessarily depend on a, a nine to five job. And I, I mean, I was even thinking about that like in high school. So I wanted to increase my financial knowledge to the point where I could make the right calls and achieve financial freedom. And to me, that means being able to do what you want when you want, with the people you want, and not have to worry about money in that process. Welcome to the On Fire Podcast, episode 35, with your hosts, Matt and Kellen. In the On Fire Podcast, we discuss financial independence, real estate investing, frugality, minimalism, and retiring early. But before we jump into today's episode, guys, we need ratings and reviews. They're the lifeblood of any podcast. So what I need you to do is go to whatever platform that you're listening to this on and leave us a five star and a written review. It means a lot to us. And I just saw we did hit over 100 ratings on iTunes. So thank you guys so much for that. We do read all the reviews. So really appreciate you guys that have done that so far. Today's episode is with Nathan Klim. Nathan is another great example of someone who realized you don't need to reinvent the wheel. He looked around to see who's already achieved what he wanted, and he started working with them to learn exactly what he needs to do to get to his goals. So he's been purchasing real estate in his hometown, as well as uh, London, Ontario, and just building a portfolio of cash flowing properties, getting to the point where he'll eventually be able to choose if he wants to leave his day job, he can. So another great example of someone who realized you don't need to reinvent the wheel. You can just look at what people are already doing and copy that. Yeah, it's always fun getting to catch up with people that are mid-journey, right? I know it's a lot of fun to hear people that have been been there, done that, and made it already to fire. But I really do love seeing people that are on the cusp. They're coming to the tipping point. And I think uh, Nathan's just another great example. But enough chatting. Let's hear a quick word from our sponsors and then dive into the interview. This episode is sponsored by the Findlay Mortgage Team. The Findlay Team was born out of the idea that through exceptional service and expert advice, they can create a world of more accessible capital for their clients. As real estate capital advisors, their mission is to assist investors in strategically scaling their portfolios. They understand the struggle that investors face and how difficult it can be to scale once the banks say no. Their experts find alternative solutions by leveraging institutional and private capital stacks, strong networks, and competitive products, allowing them to offer an industry-leading service that is unparalleled in the Canadian real estate market. All right. Welcome to the show, Nathan Klein. Nathan is an investor. He's got five properties in a couple of cities in Ontario, Canada. They're solely owned. He's got student rentals and triplexes. He also invests in stocks and he works a full-time job working towards financial independence. Welcome to the show, Nathan. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me on. It's awesome to have you on, Nathan. And I'm sure we'll dive more into this later, but I'd love to hear what's been a brief summary of the last year been like for you. Well, the last year has obviously been a whirlwind for everybody involved, but I made a lot of big changes in the last year. It's the first time that I decided to hire a coach, first time buying multifamily property. It's the first time I bought uh, real estate in a new area, an hour away from where I live, Guelph. I bought, first time I ever bought three properties in a year. So there were a lot of firsts in, in the last year that uh, really changed the pace of things for me. 
Okay, great. And so we'll dive more into that later, into what you've been up to this last year. But can you can we rewind back to, you know, the early days, you know, when you first discovered the idea of financial independence? You know, what was your background at that time and, and what kind of brought you towards this whole concept? So when I was younger, I've always been kind of interested in business and building businesses. And I took a look around at the people in my life that were successful and the things that they were doing to to you know generate their income and, and live their lives. And I realized that a lot of them had a multiple income streams and a lot of them had real estate investments so my mother's boss was a is a dental uh, or a dentist rather and uh, he had tons of rentals actually some of them were in london although he was based out of out of guelph and although he's moved on that was that was the one thing that really stuck with me is that these people had multiple income streams so i said to myself i really want to go down that path and you know life's too short i don't want to necessarily depend on a, a nine to five job and I, I mean i was even thinking about that like in high school so i wanted to increase my financial knowledge to the point where i could make the right calls and achieve financial freedom and to me that means uh, being able to do what you want when you want with the people you want and not have to worry about money in that process. And so where did you start, Nathan, with those different multiple income streams? Was it stocks? Was it real estate? Was it something else? It was real estate. I had had a kind of a, a mentor in my life that uh, I had, while I was in high school and university, I had seen him buy a couple student rentals here in Guelph. So what had actually ended up happening was I got hired full time before my degree was finished, but immediately I decided to buy real estate right after that. So I bought a, a townhouse and I decided to go down the route of house hacking. So that's what really, really got me started is, is I house hacked and looked on, you know, what, what what next steps I could take to further that real estate journey. And was house hacking just the default option for you? Was it something you kind of discovered or... To be honest, I didn't even know it was called house hacking at the time. I just said, you know, I've got these extra rooms in this townhouse that I bought. Like, I'm not using the space. I don't need, I might as well bring my cost of living down. That's just the kind of like the default way. This is pre-consuming any major real, real estate materials or anything like that. So it just made sense to me. And obviously it helped out financially. So kind of went down that path. And I once I had done that, I was like, man, I was like, I should really start reproducing this on a larger scale. So that's kind of how I arrived at it. It's funny because, you know, you mentioned that, you know, it's not something that you'd heard about. You were just like, I have these extra rooms. And I find a lot of people who are looking to get, who are uh, striving toward financial independence, they tend to identify areas in their life where maybe they're spending too much, or maybe they're not earning enough, or maybe they, you know, they have opportunities to earn more, or they have assets that they aren't used as efficiently as they could be. And they start recognizing those opportunities. But the nice thing is, you know, you've mentioned the idea of, you know, like you've had mentors along the way and the idea that, you know, now you can actually just look at people who've already done what you want to do and then just copy them. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. You don't need to find out, oh yeah, there's a bedroom that I could use and rent out. You can just talk to people and they'll tell you exactly what the right steps are to get towards, to start reaching your goals. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so what did that first deal look like for you? If you don't mind kind of talking through the numbers at a high level. Yeah. So the first property I bought, again, this is before I consumed any materials, was a pre-construction townhouse. So it wasn't even built. What ended up happening was I got that full-time job before my degree was finished and I, I started making money and I was living at home. And my parents came to me and said, hey, since you're working full-time now, we're going to start charging you rent. And I was pretty much like, F that. Like, I don't want to pay rent. So I said, well, I might as well put it towards a mortgage. And I started to go look for properties. Properties. And I basically just found a, you know, a new build that was going to be finished that year. So it was going to be finished in 2012 is, is this time frame for this. And then I put the money down and it, I think it was about 250000 
at the time. So again, I wasn't doing any cash flow metrics by, by means, but there were three extra bedrooms. So I rented out the, the bedrooms and then brought down my, I was pretty much breaking even or very close to breaking even around that time. And ended up, what ended up happening was I stayed there only for a year and a half. And what I did was I sold the property. I made about 80 to 90,000 on it. And I actually bought two pre-construction condos because at the time that was kind of my thinking. I hadn't really broadened my horizons in terms of the other content out there. So uh, I bought the I bought two condos and uh, they were probably about 180K each, two two-bedroom condos, like nice condos, granite, et cetera. And I just, I lived in one, house hacked the other bedroom and then rented out the other one as well. So I kind of just continued down that path with pre-con. Interesting. And so yeah. you kind of got into this initially, it sounds like not necessarily with a master plan. Do you have a master plan now for financial independence? What does that look like? Yeah, so I've definitely solidified uh, kind of my vision and what where I would like to go. Um, I have specific goals around cash flow, and every property that I acquire and add to my portfolio now has to meet those criteria. Ultimately, I am looking to you know if there's ever a situation that occurs where my job is no more, that I'm not going to need to change my standard of living because of it. And then, uh, I mean, I think ultimately I would like to go down uh, the, uh, I'd like to invest in real estate full-time if I can in multiple different markets. On top of that, I would also be interested in doing some, uh, you know, investing in businesses. Uh, I'm a big fan of angel investing. I follow a bunch of podcasts and stuff about that. So those are kind of where I see the next five years, give or take, taking me. Awesome. And so, you know, you mentioned now a bit about investing in businesses and stocks and things like that. What's kind of your experience been in that world? I know that you like Tesla quite a bit. I know you and I both <laughs> do, although you're you're a little more heavily invested in it than I am. <laughs> what's yeah. uh, what's yeah. your uh, what's your experience been in uh, in stocks and in Tesla and and all of that? For for sure, for sure. So my background is in IT in terms of that's what like my job and my my passion is technology. Um, I've been following Tesla for for a while, um, and I'm always kind of looking at opportunities. And actually, I had to make a decision between in 2012 buying that first townhouse, or I was like, man, I feel like this Tesla stock is cheap in 2012, but uh, I need a place to live. And the parents' situation kind of forced me out into the the real estate route. Um, Obviously, it still worked out okay. But yeah, I mean, I I do do a lot of research, uh, but I am a very big believer in concentration and not massive amounts of diversification. So I know traditionally people will have, you know, they'll want to diversify over 10 or 20, 30 stocks, but I I'm much more a fan of being highly concentrated in things that you know really, really well. So I felt that Tesla met that criteria. And beyond those two condos that I was talking about that I bought, I sold both of those privately myself just on Kijiji and one using Kijiji and one using Comfrey. And what I did with those proceeds is I just rolled them into two pre-con townhouses. So now I've got 10 bedrooms there that I've rented out as well. And then on the refi of those townhouses, I decided to put like a couple hundred grand into into Tesla. Um, that would have been circa 2017, give or take. So obviously that's played out very, very well. And I mean, I'm, I'm thankful for that. I think that there's a lot of runway to go there, but I'm very passionate about the company. As you know, Kellen, we've, we've gone back many times about that. And I keep asking you when you're going to buy Tesla. So 
<laughs> well, the beautiful thing, like I, from in my situation, I put about 2,500 bucks into Tesla and I think it was in, it was in 2015 and it definitely reached the point where I could use that money to buy a Tesla, which I thought was pretty kind of that a neat cool. situation. That is cool. <laughs> it reminds me of Grant Stepton's uh, conversation. I think he said he bought a Tesla on lease and it, and the views from the video paid for the Tesla itself. Yeah. It <laughs> it's, it's a little bit insane. How do you balance? Cause like, obviously you're doing both of those things you know, for real estate investors, we're often a little bit cash strapped. So what's your experience been like that in that world? You know, you, you got to buy the next place, you need a down payment or, you know, but you've got all this, you got all this stocks on the side. Like, do you think about liquidating or what's the, what's the mental? Yeah. So, so part of it uh, is really balancing out, um, you know, creative terms on, on financing if possible uh, with, with real estate. But then on the stock front, I don't generally put too much uh, extra into Tesla. Now I usually max out my, whatever contribution room is left in my my TFSA and then kind of continue on because I do want to go down the real estate, which is a little bit more concrete. I've got a physical asset here that I can control and change the strategy on if, if need be. So that's kind of been right. the way that I approach it. So what kind of creative terms and stuff, what kind of, what kind of ways can you approach these deals so that, you know, maybe you're not using up as much of your capital as you'd like, what kind of stuff well, are you working on there? Yeah. So obviously off market deals, right? So more flexibility dealing with the, the seller directly to create your own, uh, you know, terms if the vendor take back is is possible i've also used a second mortgage on one of my other properties to get the down payment funds for another one that's worked out well so those are probably the major things that i've done so far kind of balance that out and try to achieve both goals at the same time to say and so nathan i'd like to jump back into your idea around diversification it's definitely Mm -hmm. something i agree with and i'd love to elaborate on it more and then get your opinion I think that it's really important to specialize, niche down, whatever you want to call it initially when you're in the growth phase. And eventually with time, if you want to stabilize or essentially you decide that you're done growing, that's really when diversification becomes uh, paramount and a lot more attractive. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear you talked about you know focusing on investing in things that you only really know well. What does that look like with you for Tesla? Do you mind just kind of painting a picture for the audience? Is that reading financial statements? Is it following analysts? Is it reading charts? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's definitely a, a bunch of different facets. I used to, you know, browse a ver- bunch of various websites uh, about it, but really recently, the best information often comes from Twitter. So there are analysts and people that are heavily involved, even more bullish than I am, that have great breakdowns of, you know, the, you know, the catalyst for the near term, the long term vision, and a variety of different perspectives. On top of that, I also do follow like the quarterly announcements and stuff, especially if I know that it's going to be a big one. I know their product roadmap pretty well, as well as like they're, you know, they're building two factories, one in Berlin right now and one in Texas. So, I mean, those are pretty big things that are really going to increase the the production capacity of that company. I mean, full self-driving is rumored to be completed this year, which is also going to be another massive one. So those are the main areas I think that I would uh, focus on when I'm researching things at least. And then just for context there, like, is that just in spare moments? Do you set aside specific times to like study or research? What does that look like? I pretty much check multiple times a day. So I, I'm in between my work, whenever I've got uh, you know a break or whatever, I'll check the Twitter feed, see what people are up to, 
see what news is going on. Maybe I need, you know, maybe it'll present a, you know, people are very, you know, rational in the short term, right? So there's a lot of money coming in and out of that that stock. I mean, it's it's taken a hit a little bit recently, but that I use those opportunities to buy more when I think that they it's still undervalued on a long term horizon. Like I'm not looking into just flip something and get out of it. It'll probably be about ten years before I really sell. But in the meantime, I can borrow against it maybe to facilitate some other purchases along the way. Well, it's good to see that your approach is long term for pretty much everything you're investing in. I find, especially on the real estate side, it, everyone kind of knows that's that's a that's a great way to go. Hang on, you can't really lose by hanging on to real estate for the long term. Mm-hmm. Companies like this, you know, who knows how things play out? But it's it's just good to see long term uh, the long term investor mindset. I think a lot of people these days are really, especially you know, people who want to make a lot of money quickly. There are a lot of in and out stuff, right? Yeah, um, a lot of wholesaling, absolutely. flipping, anything that can make some cash and then exit. But I mean, my favorite strategy for all this stuff is long-term buy and hold. So it's nice to hear that. But so, you know, you mentioned that tech is like kind of a passion of yours with your, with your job and, and things like that. So when you do reach financial independence, you know, are you going to keep, you know, tech as a, an aspect of your life? Or are you going to, are you going to stay at the job or work some kind of a job or consult in some way? Or what's your thought there? Yeah. I mean, I think I'm I'm more I'm primarily focused on getting to that point first and then I'll make a decision about where I want to go. I do very much like my job, but I could easily see you know owning five properties, you know, the gross rents from that are way more than what I'm making in my day job, so I can easily see how one could transition off that. I do plan on like I still am very passionate about tech in the like just in the consumer space. You know what's coming out. What you know, I'm a big gamer, so I like having the latest hardware and stuff like that. So I, I don't foresee myself departing from that anytime soon. I'll probably buy another Tesla. I've got the Cybertruck on on order, so uh, that'll <laughs> that'll continue to be a, a big part of my life for sure. Yeah, that's great. So. And then, so how has it been balancing your job with real estate? I know, you know, when I was investing my first 10 properties, I worked, I was still working my full-time job. I have 32 units. I was lucky enough to live in the same city that I invested in. So I was able to kind of run back and forth a bit on my lunch hour and do my best to answer the phone when I could. But definitely when I left the job, things became a lot easier. But, you know, as of now, what's it like balancing those? It can be challenging at times. There are definitely like instance where it's like very, like there's a lot of things happening at once uh, you know two pro- things going wrong at two different properties as well as you know a big project at work but really especially with the out of town investing relying on your network uh, like you like you I mean you're obviously aware that I, I hired you as a coach so you know you've provided me with a bunch of good contacts but also having the right system in systems in place so that when something does go wrong it's not me stressing about it and being detached from my my day job which is my focus at that time I can just shoot a text off or make you know step aside for like two seconds, make a call and get the issue resolved, right? Whether it be a furnace broken or, or, or you know, power out, et cetera. It's really important to have those systems in place. It kind of forces you to, right? Like exactly. a lot of people ask like, you know, what about remote management and things like that? And it's like, you kind of have to do that when you work a full-time job. I mean, you're not going to be able to run to the property when there's issues. So you need to be able to deal via, you know, with whatever systems you want. I mean, for, for the, at the beginning, that's going to be a lot of you know, uh, just texting with tenants and e-transfers and, and photos that, you know, contractors can send when uh, jobs are completed. And that's mm-hmm. often sufficient. And then maybe people bring so- more software into it in the future, you know, software like Trello, Buildium, uh, Basecamp, any of that project management type software or anything like anything like that so that you can, you know, have maintenance requests and, and actually, you know, involve, you know, have some actual better systems in place. I know 
for myself, you know, it, for me, it's hitting a tipping point at this point, I got 56 units. And honestly, my systems at this point are still based mostly around text messaging. And I have my own lists of maintenance requests and stuff, but I think software is the next logical step for, uh, for really dealing with that remote management. And, you know, if you can start early with that sort of thing, that could be a really great place to, you know, it's, it's hard to transition to that later. <laughs> it's yeah. good to kind of begin with the goal the end in mind. For sure. I have, I have explored a little bit of Buildium. I don't think that my portfolio is necessarily at the scale of, of maybe leveraging that fully yet, but um, it's definitely something that I'll be paying attention to going forward as I continue to scale up, hopefully. so. And so Nathan, what does the next year look like for you? I'm still looking to, well, first off, I've got a refi on Rectory. So the, the place that uh, your wholesaler sold me, that refi is going to be coming up in uh, renewals on June 1st, I believe, which will free up a lot of cash flow for me. So uh, not only cash flow, but also I will, it'll be, I mean, based on today's market, I it should be a full burr. So that's awesome. And I'll be looking to deploy that right away. So I'm looking to add, you know, triplexes, fourplexes, maybe even a bigger six or eight if I can to, to my portfolio that meet those criteria that I mentioned earlier about cash flow so and also more deals in guelph possibly where i live i mean burring is an option but you have to find the properties here in guelph and the market's extremely hot right now so and cash flow isn't as much of a thing in guelph anymore for context one of my buddies just bought a town uh triplex for i think 850 even with the increased rents in, in guelph you still are nowhere near to uh cash flowing on a property like that so you know i have to like you've always say matt you have to fit the you know find the when you, you know the market, you need to make sure the right strategy uh, is applied to it. Not every strategy works in every market. So maybe some flipping if possible. I know Matt Pichet does a bunch of flipping and him and I have been going back and forth and just uh, so that maybe in the next little bit, probably still continue to invest in Tesla where I can if I've got some extra little bit of money. But yeah, that's kind of uh, where I see that the next year going. And so, so is this oh, primarily sorry. just like opportunist as in like when that fourplex comes up or do you set like lead and lag measures for yourself? So far, it's been just opportunist, but I am starting to increase my presence in terms of like going out and, you know, you know, trying to get leads from prospective tenants or driving around to different, like literally like letting, wait, waiting in the parking lot of properties that are, that maybe, you know, I'd be interested in and just getting the owner's information and, you know, building that network out so that maybe when they do want to move on that uh, I can take advantage and we can, again, come to, come to the table with something creative where we create a, a win-win scenario for, for both of us. So like, what is, what is your, do you have a, a solid portfolio goal or cash flow goal in mind? At which point you're going to feel like you have the option to leave your job if that's something you want to do? Yeah. So right now the short-term goal is is $10,000 a month in cash flow, And I mean, buying those three properties in the last year, now that I'm starting to get them to the stabilized point of view has helped significantly towards that goal. I have a feeling that I will probably up that goal in the next year or so, and maybe bump it up to $20,000. And then I'll reevaluate at that time and see what, so generally kind of, I would like to have each property Cash flow at least a thousand dollars a month. That's that's my rough outline for it right now. And then on the management side, I imagine right now you're still self managing. Is that the plan to hang on to these properties for the long term and self manage, or bring in management at some stage? I would like to insource property management at some point in time. So I've already started building some connections for that. I just I would like to hand that part part off and really focus on the you know the acquisitions and finding you know finding these deals. I do man- enjoy managing the the construction as well, but like the the day-to-day stuff I would like to eventually hand off. So that's 
in the, the works. Yeah. And I find like, you know, in terms of hiring out property management or doing it yourself, there's a lot of conversation to be had there, to be honest. I think a lot of, some people are like, no way, like hand it off to management, focus on acquisitions. And I totally get that perspective because of course, that's where we make the majority of our money is on buying things under market value and, right. you know, focusing on that and not letting, you know, tenants and toilets or whatever, uh, you know, get you stressed out. But for the right people, I found self-management to be actually a really great use of time, at least up until a certain point. You know, it's it's a fantastic way to get to know your buildings, get to know exactly where you can get more, get the net operating income up. You get to maintain the properties better than other people would. So, you know, you mm-hmm. may end up dealing with, you know, less deferred, like less deferred maintenance down the road or you know, insulate your attics because like a property manager is probably never going to go and tell you to go insulate your attic where, you know, that ends up causing issues with your shingles and with your eavesdrops and all sorts of things like, like other examples like that, where I prefer at least for the first while to self-manage and then go in and, you know, plan out any renovations that are needed to get the property up, up and running to the point where, you know, I'm very comfortable with how, how it is, how it's running. And then, you know, at that point, if you like the idea of outsourcing or insourcing property management, you know, things are already kind of running smoothly. At that point, it's mostly turnover and leasing, right? Yeah. And that's essentially my thinking is, is like right now in the growth phase, I'm putting all my extra resources into expanding as fast as possible. So if I can make some extra cash flow by managing it myself and dealing with a little bit more headaches than I, you know, otherwise would if I handed it off, then then so be it. Because I think I'll achieve that goal so much faster by doing so. And there, like you said, I, I, I'm learning rapidly at this point still, even though I've been doing some type of real estate since 2012. This is, you know, a complete, I have never done a burr before and the things that come along with managing a triplex are very different than managing a student rental. So there's definitely a lot of good lessons to be learned there for sure. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that, Nathan. And so moving on to our fire four, we like to ask all of our guests the same four questions. And the first question in the fire four is, what are you grateful for? I'm grateful for the opportunities I've been given. I feel that I've been very, very fortunate, but most definitely the people that have helped. I'm grateful for the people that have helped me along in my journey. I don't think anyone really does this alone, in my opinion. So, I mean, thank you to those people. I mean, Kellen and, and you, Matt, have both been people along the way that have helped me immensely. So, thanks. That's awesome. And then, so what is uh, kind of on the opposite side of the spectrum? What's a guilty pleasure or something that you can't live without? Uh, my Tesla. Uh, <laughs> How did we see that coming? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it, the Tesla was a big one for me. I, I, I'm not normally someone that would ever spend a lot of money on a vehicle, but with the tech background and the passion that I had for the company, I decided it was a good decision. So it's definitely been awesome. And I would never go back. <laughs> well, a, a friend of mine picked up a Tesla recently and and like, you know, for, as investors, we end up get you know, we end up getting pretty comfortable with the idea of debt, right? Especially mm-hmm. as it's applied to assets, not not car assets, but usually real estate. <laughs> but, you know, like my friend picked one up and it was like the down payment was like 2500 bucks and the interest rate was like 2%. So mm-hmm. it was like great. I mean, you you just have not like like that's a that's a pretty favorable way to just like get into owning a Tesla, right? As long as yeah. your cash flow is able to pay for the the car payments. I mean, you're, you're doing all right, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I were to do it again, you can, uh, I would have probably done it under like a business guys. Like you can depreciate the full value of the car off in the first year in Canada. So, I mean, that's a pretty big boon that I would have taken if I had known or it was a part an option when I bought mine in 2018. That's definitely the way to go now. Right. Question number three, is there a frugality tip or life hack that you'd like to share with listeners? 
Uh, yeah, for me, uh, getting your cost of living down to get ahead is probably the number one thing that I can think of. And I think that house hacking is probably the single biggest thing that one can do to immediately realize those gains slash move forward towards fire. Yeah. So like I said, I've been house hacking since my very first property in 2012. I'm still doing it today. I'm sure there's a time when where I won't be doing that, but it's definitely one of the most effective strategies in my opinion. Yeah. Especially early on in someone's journey. I still house hack to this day as well. And, you know, hey, like frugality is not everything. Of course, it's really about making money for the most part. But if you can have, if you can save a thousand dollars every month by house hacking, I mean, mm-hmm. It's hard to argue with that, right? You can put, you have another 12 grand every year that you can put toward down payments and things. So (laughs) especially in the early days, it matters a lot. It starts to matter a lot less later down the road. As you know, if you're making 10, 20 grand a month, you don't really need to worry about it anymore, but, Mm -hmm. but it means a lot in the early days. Well, people often ask me that they're like, what can I do today? And that's generally my advice is like, other than just like education and consumption of like getting a, you know, better idea of financial literacy, house hacking, if you've got a place to live, then you've already, you know, you can already get ahead on that. Yeah. And so our last question is, what would the hero of your own movie do in your life right now? And so some clarification (laughs) on that question, because nothing usually pops into mind for people is, you know, if you were watching a movie right now, you're, you're the main character in that movie and you're, you're kind of rooting for that main character to do something. Usually it's something the character doesn't really feel like doing, but you know that it's probably the best thing for them to do. Like, what do you think the hero of your movie would do right now? I'm sure this probably comes up a lot, but I think that quitting my day job and like just going 100% in on real estate would be that hero's decision. And I mean, along with, for me personally, starting up multiple businesses, I think that's what the next step would be for sure. Well, awesome. and it's an interesting situation too, because, you know, for a lot of people that's going to end up meaning, you know, get as many refinances in as they can before they leave their job, but then also have a plan following that in order to continue acquiring real estate. Cause a lot of people think at that point they need to bring on joint venture partners to qualify for mortgages, but there definitely are options out there. You know, if you're going in the commercial world, there's commercial lenders. If you want, you can work with local credit unions and they'll actually have options for you. You know, rates and terms aren't going to be quite as good, but there's always options to continue after that. And some people might actually be able to quit earlier earlier than they think they could because they're actually still able to continue acquiring even without the job if they structure things correctly. Yeah, I'll definitely be giving you a call once if and when I get to that point in my journey. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Awesome. Well, thanks, Nathan, for being on the show. Really appreciate it. And before we wrap up here, we always like to get our guests to ask the audience a question. Do you have a question you'd like to ask the audience? Yeah. I would say, what can you do today that will move your goals forward, big or small? In my opinion, taking a small step forward each day adds up much more more quickly than, than people realize. So ultimately, taking action is the key. Cool. And then where is the best place for people to follow or find or get in touch with you? I post most of my stuff on Instagram. So you can follow me at Nathan underscore Klim, K-L-Y-M as in Mike. That's yeah, primarily the place that I post all my real estate stuff and stocks. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, Nathan. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Kellen. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate it a lot. I really loved hearing Nathan's story and even more so just him reapproach the concept of diversification. I think way too often people hear pundits or talking heads say a word and assume that it has to be the right solution for them. I'm really glad that Nathan's actually focused on what's the right path for himself. 
Yeah, and what really I liked about it is it took me back to the days when I had to balance the day job and, you know, invest in real estate on the side. I mentioned during the episode, you know, I had up to 32 units while working the day job, which was a lot to balance. And, you know, Nathan's doing a very similar thing. I find for a lot of people, it ends up being a tipping point. You get to the point where it's hard to do both. And then you go, okay, you know what? Now's the time where I'm going to jump into real estate full time. So it's awesome to see that playing out for Nathan. Absolutely. And while you guys are waiting for the next episode of On Fire Podcast, jump over to Facebook and join the London On Fire community and make sure you're following us on Instagram at On Fire Podcast. And make sure to tune in to the next episode of the On Fire Podcast to meet more people, hear their stories and learn from their mistakes. And please, guys, leave us a five star and written review, just like Emil 12345884 said. Highly underrated. I'd love to see Dan Crosby and Casey Wong on the podcast soon. So appreciate you giving us that feedback and we'll look into uh, trying to get Dan or Casey on the podcast. Thanks for listening. This is Matt. And Kellen signing off. And until next episode, remember being normal, buying stuff doesn't make you happy. And always remember what Ben Graham said. The individual investor should act consistently as an investor and not as a speculator.